right, man. Welcome to the introduction for episode 104. Jason Lindgren's with me, and we're basically going to be talking about, well, if I had to boil it down to common sense, we're going to talk about the life cycle of a person basically in the United States, the part of the world I'm familiar with, or the Western world, and all the things that are put in our way to try to get us to accept that things that have no common sense are acceptable. Take even the laws in our country. Every year, thousands of more laws are put into place. There's not a person living in this country that can possibly understand all the things that are legal or not. We've departed so far from common sense. After all, if we had common sense, we would go back to things like common law, which are common sense. I would urge anyone to go look up the true foundations of what is acceptable law, common law. It's getting harder and harder on the Internet to find out what common law is and the basic tenets, which are basically common sense. We've come a whole other way from there. As we begin to go through the life cycle of a human being, we simply take common sense and we challenge the things we're talking about. A lot of it has to do with the medical industry. And truly, I understand, having had many people in my life that were directly involved in the medical industry, that even the people working in these fields, they're they're between a rock and a hard place. If they want to step back and scrutinize what they're being asked to do and do something different, they're probably going to lose their job. And I'll put that right out front. I'm perfectly aware. But at what point do we begin to examine the facets of living a Western life right now that are unacceptable, that are just becoming ridiculous, living under all these contracts and debts and doing unreasonable things. At what point do we get back to common sense and say, hey, wait a minute, man, this is unacceptable. I don't know when or if that time comes, but I'll push and push and push to try to get people to consider it. Anyhow, let's jump in with Jason Lindgren for episode 104. There it is, man. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio Podcast. This is episode 104, and I have Jason Lingren with me. And today we're going to be talking basically about the modern life cycle of human being in the Western world. Welcome, Jason. Good morning, Crow. How goes it down there, man? Looks like we never got spring, but we're starting to warm up here. Thankfully, no Arctic Circle here. Nice and pleasant. Yeah, I got friends in Michigan that are still getting snowed on here past midway April. It's crazy. All the weather modification is certainly uh, behind all this, if I had to guess. But anyhow, I don't think I have anything for the intro here, Jason. No, and all I've got is that I got my old computer repaired at the Apple Store and back, so all the clips you sent me I can now start pulling off for the film. And hopefully I'll get a trailer together sometime in the near future for everyone out there. All right, I'm about halfway through the footage I have. It's going to be a mega giga dump to you, so we'll figure out how we're going to do that after you get all set up. But anyhow, I guess we're straight into it here. Right, so uh, Crow doesn't have any shows lined up, so if anybody's got any good suggestions out there, by all means, hit us up. Yeah, indeed. I haven't done a show in, I think, a week now, so anyhow. All right, moving on. Let's start with a quote from Benjamin Rush, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. And he had this to say in the year 1787. The Constitution of this Republic should make special provision for medical freedom. To restrict the art of healing to one class will constitute the Bastille of medical science. All such laws are un-American and despotic. Unless we put medical freedom into the Constitution, the time will come when medicine will organize into an undercover dictatorship enforce people who wish doctors and treatment of their own choice to submit to only what the dictating outfit 
offers. <laughs> so what do you say here, man? Crystal, crystal, crystal ball. Tell me how you saw it all. What are we looking at here? 1787 is the claim. Yeah, he, he was a little ahead of a time there. Well, it came to be exactly that. I mean, if you want to go to the doctor today, every day is Bastille Day. Basically, the debt alone that we accrue. You know, I was watching this thing the other night where someone had a one night stay at a uh, at a hospital in America and the bill was fifty thousand dollars. And they made the joke that if they ever got injured again, they would go back to their native Britain first class because by far it would be cheaper to get treated uh, by a hospital in that way. Yeah, it's it's out of control, Jason. The gouging is just insane. I, I as a general rule, do not go to a doctor unless something is so wrong, which almost never is. No, I, won't, I don't want to be part of the system. It's completely bereft of any common sense. You know, my mom got in an accident a couple years ago and I've been taking care of her and uh, some of the bills came in. It was ridiculous for a gauze, for stitches, just some of the prices on there. But then the insurance company would send us bills that we paid everything but $39. You you know, you're responsible for $39. And I'm looking, you know, here's a Band-Aid, cost $50. Here's a tongue depressor, cost $30. Um, it's just, it's without rhyme or reason. It's beyond the pale. And it's about the most unreasonable thing you can point to uh, medicine in, in this country. And of course, they're allowed to do it. There's no regulations stopping them. Well, there's this other side of it. You know, as I got into dealing with these insurance companies, which is about as close to hell as you can come, um, I started to learn things like apparently there's a book at a hospital. I've forgotten what it's called now, but it's like the standard book all hospitals have that quote the prices out, what they're going to charge for things. And it's a total inside baseball. They basically just mark things up hundreds of times in certain cases. And the insurance companies that are going to beef with you about 30 bucks are more than happy to pay, you know, know, $75 for a Band-Aid. It's just, it's all ridiculous. I think the safe thing to say here is that the medical industry, big pharma, and the insurance companies, it's all one great big scam on us. You know, and, and I'm starting to get the feeling that we really are quite a bit different than the rest of the world. I've talked with people from Britain who have made fun of the way that the drug companies advertise on TV. You know, like, <laughs> here's this new drug with a weird name that has all these bad side effects. Ask your doctor if it's good for you. I mean, our medicine has gotten so ridiculous in this country. The doctor's not even really in the loop. You know, they, they play an, a, an ad on TV to get you to choose your medicine and then go in and ask your doctor for it. But anyhow, man. <laughs> well, I, I, I can tell you some stories about that. The drug companies send out representatives to just your general practitioners because I've known a few in my life that were personal friends of mine. And they'll take them, a whole bunch of them, to a restaurant like TGI Fridays or one of those kind of places. And they have this budget that they have to spend while they hand out their pens and talk about whatever medication. So they're all getting filet mignon and, and every dessert on the menu and all that. And this happens over and over and over again. It's to woo the doctors into thinking positively about these medications. And it's kind of ridiculous. Well, it's a bit like a cartel, isn't it? As we get in here, we'll show that it's all been put together. And, you know, it's exactly what what Benjamin Rush, if there ever was such a man, said here. It's basically, it is a Bastille. Um, it is a mafia. And at the root of it, uh, what we call medicine is coming from pharmacies that are creating chemicals. And in my view, chemicals are not medicine uh, in the way that they're manufactured. All right, so let's have a quick reminder here that the Rockefeller and Carnegie Foundations deliberately transformed the American medical establishment in the early 20th century. 
The method they pushed is what is called allopathic medicine, a system in the 1800s that used three main forms of treatment: bloodletting, surgery, and the injection of highly toxic heavy metals such as lead and mercury that would supposedly displace the disease being treated. These elitists pushed for a system of schooling to create a predictable and rule-following group of professionals who could and would enforce their regulations. Additionally, tax-exempt foundations, through their grant-making capabilities, are able to mold the directions from which medical research will be done or what would be suppressed. And this system is still in place. I mean, you're referring to a time in the 1800s here when things are being set up. But basically, what it comes down to is any given major university in this country、um, that has a medical bent、uh, and will be responsible for coming up with new things that have to do with medicine. They're at the mercy of funding, are they not? Any place is at, that is at the mercy of funding that is being funded by some of these places we mentioned, Rock, Rockefeller, Carnegie,、um, the outcome of any research done there is going to be at the behest. Of the person who gave you the money to do it, and that is the trap we have fallen into. And、uh, it'll be a thing to see, Jason, whether we get further into this new millennium and people begin to demand better in this part of the world. Anyhow, you know, people in British Britain and other places they have free medical care. You know, you you need a doctor, you walk in. In the United States, it ain't nothing like that. As a matter of fact.、Um, In my lifetime here in this country, it was always if you walked into an ER, they could not refuse you care. And in the in the VA, since I'm an ex-Marine, even that,、um, they're starting to push away the idea that if you need care, you can just walk into an ER. And when you walk into a VA, the first thing they try to get out of you is medical information, and they constantly hand pamphlets out that say if you're a combat veteran and were injured, you might be eligible for something like five years care. It's ridiculous. Um, the way medicine has gone in this country, and it will be interesting to see if we begin demand, to demand better. Well, I would have to say that the first two points I've read go completely hand in hand, and that's exactly where we're at today. There, there's just no doubt about it that there is only one form of medicine in mainstream culture that people have been completely brainwashed into accepting. Any other form of medicine is considered hocus pocus nonsense, quackery, doesn't exist. You know, one of the things I was reading up on as we went into this was the comparison of Chinese traditional medicine with herbs and things like that—the yin and yang idea that they employ in their oldest medical med-、uh, medical traditions,、uh, compared to the outcomes of cancer patients treated、uh, with Western medicine. And you know, it was funny because I read a few of the studies, and a couple of them acted like it was a wash. And then one of them tried to claim that Western medicine was by far better at treating cancer. And then I found a couple that said Eastern、uh, remedies for. Cancer far surpass what's going on in the West, but at the end of it all, apparently, what is going on is Western medicine has crept steadily and heavily into those Eastern traditions, which are more holistic,、uh, more to do with plant-based medicines. In my view. Going for plant-based medicines was always the way, and this idea that we make chemicals now to treat so many things, and you can't barely look at a chemical that's not going to have. You know, Lord knows how many terrible side effects. And in many cases, when we see the medicines they're dispensing, the damn side effects are worse than the thing they're trying to treat. So that's where we are, man. That's been a long-standing joke too. You know, you want to treat this one thing, but hey, it gives you thoughts of suicide and erectile dysfunction. Like, oh, great, thank you, thank you. 
common sense has flown out the window. Even if you take something like the way a lot of people are treated for cancer in this country, they'll go through chemotherapy. Chemotherapy is basically poisoning your body and destroying cells. So on the face of it, it's going against the Hippocratic Oath. But to top it off, we know damn well that places like Gerson from probably as far back as the 30s used plant-based juices to have astounding cure rates um, from some of the most aggressive cancers, depending on when you've gone in to get treatment and how far along you are. And then if you go to a place like Wikipedia, it will tell you that the Gerson method is dangerous. That's right, folks. Carrot juice and apple juice and lettuce juice are dangerous. And chemotherapy is not, by the way. So there's that, man. Well, I did a good bit of looking up on cancer, and we're going to do a section on that later on. And that's exactly it. And it's not just the cancer subject, but anything that goes against what mainstream health pushes is absolutely considered quackery at best. They will belittle it, they'll poo-poo it, and you'll just have article after article after article on the internet saying that the only correct methods are the ones that they push. And that kind of gets me to the next point. So let's take a moment to discuss the general attitude of modern medical professionals, because I've had to deal with them a lot, especially doctors. They have this highly negative attitude that seems to sprout from multiple reasons, but a quick internet search of doctors are egomaniacs will actually yield some very serious results. Well, you know, your, your, your average doctor has been through one hell of a lot of school, and anyone who looks at the curriculum of a person who's even going to be an MD in this country will see that there are some hell-bent portions of his education that he goes through. But there's a couple things also that the modern doctor is facing um, that they didn't in the past. As an example, so many people that are going to see a doctor now have been on the web looking at WebMD or other things. So it's not like this person coming in say, doc, I don't feel good. Treat me. They're coming in saying, hey, man, I looked this up on the internet and I know what's wrong with me. These types of ideas, I think, feed into it. But more and more, we see the doctors kind of defending, defending their MO, their modus operandi. And what I am noticing is so many people are taking it upon themselves to look into healthier ways to cure themselves. We've seen medical marijuana take off. Even the older members of distant family members in my family that got cancer did things like got concerned with balancing the pH in their body and went a whole other way than just going in and taking the chemo. But I'm not sure exactly where you were headed with this bullet point, Jason. Doctors seem to have raging egos where they won't even listen to their patients. They're just going to spout out rhetoric and turn around, walk away, and not even give you a chance to speak. I've, I've seen this repeatedly with multiple doctors. I even confronted a friend over thimerosal being in flu shots when she said to me, no, they're not. They took it out. And I reached into the garbage can, pulled out the pamphlet, because she had just administered one a few minutes earlier, and there it was. And she just looked at me for a moment and shrugged. So this ego that the doctor is always right is maddening when it took all of five seconds for me to prove her wrong. Well, let's be fair here, Jason. These are people who have been through a hell of a lot of training, and here's the problem of a person in that professional position. If they take the time to take it apart, they're going to find the problems you and I are pointing out, and then they're going to have to go to work dealing with that. On the other hand, if they build a wall and do what they were trained to do, they have in their mind, hey, man, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But, you know, again, to be double fair, um, I've met a lot of doctors. Some of them have been genuinely great people, and other ones have been a real pain in the butt to work with. 
But, you know, I don't I don't envy any of them. You know, they're they're in a vein of healing that has been put forward and funded basically by people who don't have our best intents at heart. And when you get to a point in medicine um, where maybe surgery is out of the picture, the West is very good at surgery. From what I gather, um, what you find is they're faced with distributing chemicals for the most part for a lot of medicine. That can't be easy for a person who might be thinking there's got to be a better way than this. But there's the attempt to be fair. Right. And I'm not saying that all doctors are bad. It's just that uh, they are the administrators of this system and this system teaches them to be egomaniacs. They're told that this is the only way and you know that only way and only you can do what's right. And that goes to a lot of people's heads. Yeah, here where I am in Rhode Island, um, there's actually a, a large population of holistic people, people who do things like acupuncture. There's even Chinese medicine here. So I think that we're seeing in some way, shape, or form, a move away from the chemical-based treatments only. But again, you know, there are some things that Western medicine is very good at, and surgery and almost everything I researched, uh, Western medicine is the apex of the idea of surgery. Whether or not it's misused, I can't tell you. Right. The thing I can definitely agree with is if you are in an accident, you break a bone, that kind of thing, Western medicine is the way. They will be able to put you back together effectively. Where they get it completely wrong is on the your sick side with nutrition and all that sort of thing. Most of the things that they will treat you with mask symptoms and do not cure diseases. You know, it was interesting, Jason. I was watching a few clips on uh, people from near the Tibetan Plateau in Nepal, and they were asking, um, what do you think the, the Western doctors have been in here? What do you think of what they've been offering you compared to the traditional method you would have received? And I would say almost to a person out of about four or five person, uh, the response was the same, where if you smashed your finger, which was actually one of the cases, and they come give you painkillers, they work immediately, and you heal quicker, but the healing is not as complete and long-lasting as if they would not have done with all the modern drugs and everything and just healed normally. They say that takes longer, it's a little more painful, but the end result is much more long-lasting. I don't doubt that. Okay, so moving on. From the Joint Commission 2016 Comprehensive Accreditation Manual Glossary. Informed Consent. Agreement or permission accompanied by full notice about the care treatment, or service that is the subject of the consent. A patient must be apprised of the nature, risks, and alternatives of a medical procedure or treatment before the physician or other health care professionals begins any such course. After receiving this information, the patient then either consents to or refuses such a procedure or treatment. My recent experience, Jason, I haven't experienced this where the doctors come in and uh, I've been in a few times in the last couple of years, a couple of times for serious things with family members. Um, I can't ever recall the doctor explaining or saying this could be dangerous or you need to make a decision. But you've got to realize this whole system is built in the op opposite direction as this. As an example, everything you go out into the world to buy, there's usually a price tag on it. If there isn't, you're informed what the price of it is before you buy it. When you go into a hospital, this is not the case. Not only do you not have a clue about the price of any of the care you're getting, uh, if you ask, half the time you're told, I have no clue, because it's the billing department that does that. But I mean, what's your take on this bullet point, Jason? 2016 is pretty recent. Yes, it is. And I can tell you that in 2016, I went for a routine exam for my medical insurance, and because I'm in my 40s, the doctor wanted to do a full blood work on me, not telling me anything 
about costs or procedures or anything like that. Just let's do this just to double check. And I figured my insurance was covering it all because I actually have pretty good insurance through my job. Turns out the only thing that got covered was just the exam itself, the going to the to the room. But the blood work, I got a bill for $300 that I was never even remotely informed about. Yeah, th- this is the nature. The, it almost looks, you know, to the to the eye that that takes a close examination of this system, this medical system. Where it's a control system, isn't it? Um, in what world do you ever buy services where you're not informed what the price is, and then when you are, you realize the price has been exorbitantly inflated? And not only that. Even just watching television in the United States where you see these stupid drug commercials over and over and over, the one thing it always says is ask your specialist. And I always laugh whenever I see it. How many people out there can afford a specialist or have a specialist? It's a very small subset for most of us, even people with insurance in this country. So you can see the controlling kind of Saturnian nature, to echo back to our last episode, that has been built into the healthcare system in the life cycle of a Western life. And of course, even if you have insurance, the specialist always costs more. It's always right there in the print, you know, this much for your GP. But then if you're going to specialist, it's always a considerably higher copay. Well, even the way this is all set up, there is no possibility of holistic treatment uh, when we start to talk in this way about specialists, right? What we're saying is the MD, the general guy, said, well, you need to go a guy who's specialist on the feet or a specialist, you know, on your arms or something like that or a brain guy. And so that's their main uh, area of concern. If you go into some of the Eastern cultures, you find a much more holistic approach where the pulse is taken. You know, the, anyone can go on on the Internet and look at the three-finger pulse method still utilized in places like India, I believe in China, I'm certain it's still done in India, where it is a holistic approach, like here's a body in front of me, not part of a body, a whole body. I'm going to look at the whole body to try to do this treatment. And again, even in the Chinese medicine today, they have sayings like if you see a doctor and part of his prescription is not diet, then you've wasted your time seeing a doctor. See, these are holistic views of a human body, which are clearly much more realistic when trying to cure a problem. And as you can see, in our part of the world, you can't even see a specialist unless you've gone through the general practitioner, whatever he may be called, to get the referral to go see the specialist. It's just it's a complete subdivided, nonsensical, controlling mess designed to maybe treat you at best. I'm sure the people doing it are doing the best they can. But the end result of that for so many of us is going to be crippling debt. And then again, you may just get handed some chemical drugs at the end of the visit. Or both. Here's the fun thing about this. If you have a problem on a farm or even with your pet, the very general approach is check the nutrition level of the animal. And that's the first thing. It's the exact opposite with humans. They're ready to throw a drug at you. Well, this is the whole ridiculous thing. That's the nature of things like Gerson uh, method that basically what happened is this guy, Max Gerson, back in the day, it is said when he was a kid, noticed that when fertilizer began to come out to the farms, he noticed the worms fled. As soon as fertilizer was used, the worms hit the road, not going to be here anymore. And he started to recognize from that point forward. To cut to the chase here, he identified what a cell needs to be fully nutritionally fed. 
and he got certain plants, juiced them, juiced them in a way where the life essence is still in the plant. For those who remember the alchemical shows that we've done, uh, Alchemy Flat Out states that the carrier of life essence is the plant. I accept it. Um, I invite anyone to go challenge that idea or maybe do some research, see if it's worth accepting for you. But Gerson then put together certain kinds of juices, which was basically a green juice and then a carrot apple-based or a, a carrot-based juice, along with flushing the body out using organic coffees to stimulate the liver to get all the bad stuff out of you. And so there's a holistic view. There's a holistic approach. And, you know, Wikipedia can say whatever it wants about the dangers of carrot juice for crying out loud. But when you look at the clinical results, it's no laughing matter. Um, that method has cured incredibly, incredibly, even kidney failure and things like this, as long as people haven't gone in for dialysis yet. But, you know, it's, it's a far... It's a far road away from us, Jason, where we've come with what we call medicine now. There's absolutely no doubt whatsoever that nutrition is excruciatingly important. It's absolutely what our bodies need and that the majority of the food that the average Western person consumes these days is nutrient deficient. Well, this is all on the back, basically, of, you know, the capitalist idea, um, the corporate idea. That's how all this has happened. Um, what has slowly happened in the United States over the course of my lifetime is every decade that's gone by, the person, the customer, the individual has diminished in value, and the profits of what a corporation can gain has risen in value to where we find ourselves now, where food supplies are wholly controlled by corporations who have diminished almost any nutritional value. When you go into a supermarket now, there are so few things you can pick up that actually have a decent nutritional value. And even when when you go to the produce aisle, half of that stuff has been sprayed with chemicals. Um, that's where we've come here. So, you know, the average mind should be asking, was this by design or is it something else? And I think it's a little of both. I think that the, that these, these corporate kind of capitalist ideas were put in place to aim for control. But when it, you know, when they merged it with things like television and movies and culture and all these things, they realized really how easy it was going to be. And at the point we are now, they've turned much of America you know, what, what's the band, Green Day? They wrote a whole album about it. It's called American Idiot. I don't want to be an American idiot. That's us now. We've been, we've had our nutrition diminished to the point where our brains don't work like they used to. We've been programmed through television and movies and culture um, to, a, to a lower level of human existence that we now accept things like what we call medicine and the, the ridiculous pharmaceutical insurance um, scam that goes on in any given hospital in this country. So here, here's the crossroads. I mean, the real question here is, Jason, are we going to grab the tiller and pull up or are we going to continue this nosedive? Well, here's the thing. When you're in a supermarket, the organic produce, for instance, costs a lot more because that's real food. That's what food costs. All the other processed garbage that you're going to find at the dollar store or whatever, that's not really food. It's food stuffs. It's processed from somewhat food, but it's not the real thing. And that's why it's so massively nutrient deficient. It doesn't have anything in it. It's just filler. Right, but I take I take umbrage with the idea of, of organic food costing more. Once you're set up to do organic, you're not paying for chemicals and all these other things. It does take a crossover. You do have to get up and running so you can be organic, but you know anyone can go test this. Um, one of the first things many years ago when I began to try to get organic foods is I noticed that if I went and bought some Chiquita bananas from the grocery store and I bought some organic bananas from the grocery store, the non-organic 
bananas would go brown and bad much more quickly. And I was finding that the other organic bananas would go a week, maybe even a week and a half and still be edible. But the problem here is, is anyone can go online right now and look up what it means to be organic. What does that mean? What does the word natural mean? What do any of these words mean? And when you start to get into the legal logistics, you can see the nonsense that's gone on here. It's almost to the point where if you want to know something's organic, you better have a garden in your backyard. And that's not wholly true. You can do the footwork. You can deduce where you can go in your area to find food that is probably as truly organic as you can get. But my point here is the system's not here to help you get in that direction. That's all there is to it. So moving on to the actual cycle of life here and how it interacts with the medical system, let's start with childbirth. There would be two ways, generally speaking, that this would come about, natural birth or vaginal birth, and cesarean. No matter what you decide that you want to do for your birthing process, if you or your baby is in danger, or if you are having your baby in a hospital setting most especially, your healthcare provider is authorized to treat without getting informed consent. A great example of this is if you do need an emergency C-section. Your doctor is just going to go ahead and do it without spending any time explaining the risks to you. So, in a way, the expectant mother is at their mercy. Right, but I think you would expect the average reasonable person not to do these things unless they thought the baby was in danger or something. But there's, you know, this is, these are interesting ideas. Um, <clears throat> consider maybe 200 years ago, a person having a baby in this country. I mean, there's still shows on television now um, showing how the people from this era lived and now consider going into the clinical situation of a hospital to have a baby. And then to top it off, the idea of Caesarean, that's named after Caesar, probably connected to Caesarea. I started to look up this um, as we got into this episode, but it branched into two paths, the idea of Caesarea, the idea of Caesar, and I just didn't get to the bottom of it before this episode. But it's an interesting thing. Anyone can look into these ideas. But um, there is no getting away from the kind of clinical nature that a baby goes through. So if we consider that we're all born naked into this world and that we have to interact in this world, why is it that we're put in this sterile bubble um, when we're born. It doesn't make sense to me. As a matter of fact, it seems to me that you would probably be a tougher child and a tougher young adult if you grew up being exposed to what's in your environment. These kinds of ideas, but that's just me. Right, and there's a lot of arguments for and against that whole very concept. The whole point here is that right from the get-go, from as soon as you're born, you're in this healthcare system and at its mercy. Right. And the problem here is, is a lot of people would come in to argue the other way and talk about child mortality, but I couldn't accept any of it. I started looking at some of the child mortality rates, but this is what's being proposed by science. And otherwise, in other words, what we have is the fox in charge of the hen house. Science rules the day now, the clinical setting in your hospital. And of course, it's going to defend what it's there to do. So it's always going to point back and say, hey, man, in the cowboy days, people only lived to 45 years old. Nonsense. Nonsense. Those people had pretty much pure water, pretty much 100% organic food, and they were living a lot longer than 45, a lot of them. This idea that the average lifespan it was 45 is complete poppycock, and this is what we see. So we see modern science touting its own benefits and then pointing back to a time and making up nonsensical claims. And so as I got into the, the child mortality rates from the era gone by, I simply couldn't accept any of it, but that leaves you in one place and one place only, not knowing for sure. And that was the result of my looking into this. 
Logically speaking, I would expect child mortality rate to be higher in the days before sewage systems, just because they wouldn't have as developed of an immune system to be able to resist a lot of what's going on if you're in a filthy environment. And I, I don't have a problem with that concept. So yes, once you get into the 20th century and they're cleaning everything up really well and everything's just becoming more sterile in general, I would expect a child not to accidentally contract something that would uh, normally have killed the child in, say, in the 19th and before centuries. But that's not the only excuse. Yeah, but see, Jason, I think I might differ a little on this point. You know, when I was in San Diego, um, I spent most of my life occasionally going down to Tijuana. You will see the most destitute, poor, unclean living conditions down there. Um, and yet there are a lot of people there. You can't say they're thriving because they're poor and they're scratching for a meal, but they're not dropping dead for the most part. You can go to India and see these other parts. My point is, is if these people had the basic tenets of a place to be and food and things they needed, would they be tougher for having grown up in this environment? So, I mean, I think I would argue the other direction, although it's really hard to know. Um, how do you ever get child mortality rate reports in the modern era that you can trust? Um, 100%. I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. Well, that's true enough. If, if the uh, genetic predisposition to be weak to certain normal environmental contagions uh, are killing off the child, well, then over the years, of course, that genetic strain would die off and the stronger ones would thrive. But this is also why a lot of families would have multiple children, because there may have been an expectation that some of them just aren't going to make it. So, you know, this this harkens back to the idea of, of, you know, people have said, oh, don't go don't drink the water in Mexico. You'll get Montezuma's revenge. Basically, what they're saying to you is you get diarrhea and throw up real bad from what's in the water. But you see, here's the point I would make. One thing about growing up in San Diego before the kind of, you know, full control Nazi mindset shouldn't even use the word Nazi. Should she use some other word? The the tyrannical controlling mindset is workers constantly came across the border. Now, if I went down to Tijuana and just drank the water out of the tap, I did indeed risk getting what they call Montezuma's revenge. And we were always told, but it was the same for them. Now, that's not true. We had tons of workers come into San Diego. I was exposed to them my whole life. They could drink anything we drank, and I never saw any of them or heard of any of them getting sick. So here again, what you see is a tougher immune system to some degree. I can't drink their water, but they can, but they can also drink my water. You see, that kind of idea. So the reality for a mother is that often when you have a hospital birth, there are things done to you and your baby that you may not even realize and are certainly not being made aware of. The mother has just given birth and is completely exhausted regardless of the birthing procedure. The labor may have been overwhelming and the mother may be quite out of it for a good while, especially depending upon what drugs may have been administered. The mother is certainly in a hospital bed, more than likely with the father if he's involved, and neither with the baby as the hospital staff examine him or her, or as the baby is taken away from your arms and to the nursery. Right, and here's case in point, Jason. I had three nephews, and I was there for each. I was there when the paperwork came in the door to sidestep the main concern here to demonstrate that you, in fact, have no idea what's being done. When they came in to assign the little document you got to fill out that says what the baby's name will be, he gets his social security number at birth now. 
when I was young, you didn't get your SSN number until you went to work. So I think I got mine at age 13. Um, but now you get your social security number at birth. What in fact is going on there is the information that will be used to set up a straw man corporation in your name is being done right there and then. You are not notified. No one in your family is notified. And to this day, when I point out that's what's going on, so many people roll their eyes. And I've invited people over and over again to go on YouTube or the web and look how to look up the corporation that was set up the day you were born in your name with capital letters. It can sometimes be done with your social security number. That's less effective at guests these days. But the numbers on your birth certificate will get you there. Look up how to do it. And this is what's going on in this system. So I ask you, if I am correct and a straw man corporation that will be traded, that will turn you into chattel and be traded on the stock market is set up on the day of a birth in a hospital, what kind of an institution is set up around that to do that kind of thing? Even if the people handing you the documents have no idea, which I'm sure most of them do not, the point is, is the overall organization inside that building was set up to do that very thing. And that tells you a hell of a lie. All I can tell you is when I took the number off my social security card and punched it into, I think it was fidelity.com or one of those, it came up as March 1973. Well, I didn't tell it that. That's what came up, and that's when I was born. Right, and it was your name in capital letters, right? Well, that's what's on the social security card. Right, so who out there signs their names in capital letters? Why would capital letters be used? Can we think of a place in this world that ever wrote everything in all capital letters? Well, if we look back to a supposed place called ancient Rome, there it is. Capital letters everywhere, all the time. Um, I guess that's the basic idea behind it. I've heard different explanations of this, but there is no getting away from it. In the same way, we can take almost any police department in existence these days and track back to a Dunn's number, which proves it's a privately held corporation. Um, when a baby is born in a hospital, and you would think, I'm the mother or father if you're in that situation, and I should be able to have all knowing everything that's going on here and make all these choices. What we're pointing out here is in this new saturnized world, that's not the case. And at the very basic root of it, the moment you fill out that document, that certificate with your child's name that will be used to get him an SN, SSN number in the United States, uh, a straw man corporation has been set up and you will be traded on the stock market as chattel. So anyone out there who wants to argue that these edifices that were put up supposedly for the highest medical care in this world, which I take umbrage with, um, this is what they're doing in there. And that tells you a hell of a lot. It tells you who's funding them, who set them up, how the regulations got put around all this, all of it. All of it. But anyhow, Jason. Well, all I can tell you to back all that up is when I tried that again later with my Social Security card and then my birth certificate, they seemed to be tied because I got the same results, March 1973. And while I don't know exactly how these systems work, because it's not like there's a handbook that they give you to tell you how they screw you over for eternity, it, there seems to be some reality to it. And I hope that's correct. I know a lot of people actually have tried to debunk the notion that this, so there's accounts and all that sort of thing. And I can only tell you what my results were. I tried it and I found bonds created the month and year I was born. It doesn't take a genius to understand that when you pull your driver's license out, it's in all capital letters. Anytime you show up in a court, the same will be true. Why is that? Every single thing that is done in this world is done for a reason. And when you get into legalities, it is done to the minuscule comma period exclamation point to have a purpose. 
So when you understand alone that all this is being written capital letters, you should understand that's not how I write my name. And the truth is, is anyone can deduce. If you go into a courtroom and somebody in that courtroom is holding a paper and looks down at it and reads your name and says, is this you? Take that apart logically. No, that's not you. That piece of paper is not you. You are the living human being. There is a far cry from some time way back in the past when we understood the difference between being called a name and saying that's me to understanding that, no, I am right here. I'm a living human being. You can deduce that alone to understand that there's a path to travel here. But we've come so far from common sense that the average person will probably grasp at straws just to wrap their head around some of the things we've just mentioned. But again, anyone can go look it up at least until they get tired of people looking it up and try to obscure it in some way. <laughs> of course. So, other than circumcision being a big thing that's going to go on at childbirth for the, a male child, there's also, of course, vaccines. Vaccines given to a newborn include hepatitis B, rotavirus, diphtheria, tetanus, a cellular pertosis, hemophilus influenza type B, and a vitamin K shot. Now, while I'm not going to argue that there may be some validity to the science behind vaccines, there are some pluses and minuses just with that concept, there's no doubt that the things that these things are made from, not to mention some of the things used as preservatives, definitely are not necessarily things you want to go directly injecting into your body. I don't accept any of it, Jason. I haven't had any kind of an injection or vaccine, and I don't even know how long. It's been well over 20 years. To this day, when I go drive through certain parts of Rhode Island, I will see these Rite Aids, these CVSs with the signs, big billboards up that say, what vaccines do you need? And I just laugh my butt off. I don't need any. I haven't had any in 20 years or more, and I'm fine. And I wish I never would have had any in my whole life. And when you start to break down that these vaccines contain things like thermometers, Marisol. And when you start to break down that Hollywood trots out people like that was, what was her name? Jenny McCarthy, mm -hmm. who brings up a big issue saying, look what it's doing to the kids. And then the official response is crazy lady, crazy lady. You can see the controlled nature of what's going on here. It does not take anything more than an adult mind to understand that mercury should not be injected into your body. Things like Thumerosol. It's the same thing as saying, I'm going to eat this piece of lettuce that's been sprayed with pesticide, or I'm not, and I'm going to eat this piece of lettuce, which is organic. It does not take anything more than an adult mind to understand human beings should not ingest pesticide. And yet the system we have that includes vaccines is out there making this bizarre, nonsensical argument that these things are needed. Well, I'm here to tell you, I, I, it has been so long. The last time I got injected with anything was when I was in the Marine Corps. And as a matter of fact, when I was separating from the Marine Corps, they were trying to force everyone to take a an unapproved FDA unapproved three-shot series for some ridiculous thing like swine encephalitis. And I refused the shots. I was pulled out of my battalion, sent up to the commanding officers where he told me he would courts martial me. And I told him, I'm separating from the Marine Corps in two weeks, court martial away, I'm not taking your shots. Needless to say, I walked away without getting this unapproved, experimental, whatever the hell they want to call it, swine influenza or whatever it was, ridiculous shot series. I didn't take it. Um, I wish I could have gone my whole life never having taken any vaccine, Jason. Well, I strongly suspect that they use the old GIs as test subjects. The amount 
of needles that gets stuck in you when you go into the military is reason enough for no one to ever serve in the military. When I got to boot camp alone, they would line you up. They would roll up both sleeves, drop your fatigues down below both butt cheeks, and you would get as many as five inoculations in one pass. And I'm not even kidding you. And that's just one. And they did it numerous times. When we got up to combat training on Camp Pendleton, they were handing out the flu shot, of course, because it's flu season and this other nonsense. And I would say at least, if I remember correctly, I think it was three people, might have only been two. It's been a long time now that got, I mean, ill to the point where one of them went to the ER after taking the shot. Hard to know why these things occur, but again, I will state for the record, I wish I could have lived my entire life never having received a vaccine or a shot. And I guess, you know, that, and I should put a disclaimer because people are going to beef about me saying this. You know, it's a little bit different if you need an antibiotic or other things that might need to be injected into you. I'm talking about things like vaccines or the idea that a flu shot and these, I, I don't accept them. That's me. I've done my research. That's where I've landed. Here's the reality on the flu shot, no matter what anyone wants to argue about the science behind it. There's no way for them to possibly know exactly what strain is going to hit the following year. So they have to mass produce these vaccines to sell to the people the next year. So they take a shot out of God knows how many, I believe it's thousands of different strains that this is the one we're going to mass produce and tell everybody they need the following year. How could they possibly know? They don't. Well, let me ask you this, Jason. So right now, I just got done explaining to you that when I interacted within the last two years with hospitals, I saw things like Band-Aids marked up to nearly 100 bucks. Ridiculous. Nothing free in that medical system. Yet to this day, when I go to a Rite Aid, if you are 65 plus, you can get 35, 35% off your purchase if you will take the flu shot. And by the way, if you can't afford it, the manager will give you a voucher. It's free. Jason, I will ask you, what do we know about services that are given to free? Where is the product? If I am giving something for free, where is the product? You are the product. I am the product. If I go in and I take a free vaccine at no charge in a medical system that marks a toothpick up to 50 bucks, you better damn well understand with your higher human mind, if I am given free medical shots, I am in fact the product. And that's a product I refuse to be. And if they're not giving it to you for free, say, for instance, you buy a shot for 10 bucks or whatever, you'll see things like 10% off your grocery bill if you get it done at the pharmacy here at the grocery store and things like that. Some sort of coercion. And I believe I've mentioned this on the air before. Walgreens had like six signs advertising the flu shot just walking in the doors, like two out front, two on the, on the windows, and then another two as I'm walking through the door to go get something. Absolutely loony tunes. It's unreal, Jason. They have systems here in the state that I'm in now where, like, if you have the little card for the store you're in, like a CVS or a Rite Aid, you get some percentage off your purchase. A lot of the older folks on fixed incomes have this. The signs up front during the push to get people inoculated for the flu was the following. You can get 30% off on top of already the discount you get with your membership when you give your phone number, your ID, you know, at the register already. And by the way, you don't have to pay for these shots. The manager will give you a voucher. So you tell me, you tell me what's going on with those flu shots. I, I don't have to be told. I understand what's going on with those flu shots. So moving on into childhood, the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, recommends getting 29 doses of nine vaccines plus a yearly flu shot after six months old 
for kids aged zero to six. Upon entering school attendance age, parents are faced with the immediate issue of mandatory vaccinations. No United States federal vaccination laws exist, but all 50 states have laws requiring children to be vaccinated against diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis, also polio and measles and rubella. All 50 states allow medical exemptions. 47 states allow religious exemptions, and 17 states allow philosophical exemptions. D.C. allows medical and religious exemptions. Missouri and Nebraska offer philosophical exemptions only for children entering childcare and Head Start facilities. While reasonable effort has been made to ensure the accuracy of the information provided, do not rely on this information that I got off their website without first checking with your local school or government. This chart was last updated on July 6th, 2016. So this is fairly recent. They're running shows right now on HBO about what a what a farce the CDC is. And it has to do with lead and drinking water and all these other things um, where people have basically said all the CDC is is a place that looks out for itself. But we'll set all that aside. Let me ask you a question, Jason. Is it better to eat organic produce or non-organic produce? I think it's safe to say that organic produce is the way to go. Right. That's the aim, right? There were no pesticides and other things we're reasonably sure a human being shouldn't ingest. So let me ask you this. If I took a vaccine, any vaccine, and injected it into an orange, would that orange be organic anymore? No, absolutely not. If I did that at an orange that was the equivalent of a six-year-old, in other words, when it was small on the vine and let it grow up, do you suppose that orange would be the same as the other ones that didn't get the injection? <laughs> You see where we're going here? Um, you, you can't exactly nail your thumb down. And I know there's going to be a lot of people who work in the medical field, which I did, by the way. As a matter of fact, I dated almost all the women that I dated in my young 20s had to do directly with uh, ICUs, ERs, and the medical profession. So I am well aware, and I'm not trying to diminish the people who are doing the best they can. I am, in fact, trying to call out the system that we currently have in place. But I will point out, if you think that there is any value to organic things that are grown naturally without chemicals, then what vaccines is, is the equivalent of pouring f fertilizer on something you're going to eat or pesticide, in my view. And that's been proven out with things like thimerosal, mercury, all kinds of stuff that you can find in the vaccine. And who the hell knows what the science is behind half of these things? I don't need to. I've gone the majority of my life now without a needle in my arm, and I'll never get another. I suppose, unless I got to get antibiotics or something, I should add. And this last bullet point that I'd like to get in for the end of hour one here goes hand in hand with that in the nutrition and everything. It is also in adolescence that numerous children will be diagnosed with ADD or ADHD, or perhaps some other form of emotional instability, which will, no doubt, require heavy doses of daily medication. Kids aren't allowed to be kids anymore, and any mildly erratic behavior would certainly have nothing whatsoever to do with the massive amounts of sugar being pumped into them at every meal. You know, this drives me crazy, Jason. When I was young in school, ADD wasn't a thing. You rarely, occasionally you would see a kid who'd been put on Ritalin, which is basically speed. Um, the idea being there, this hyperactive kid given speed will calm down fighting fire with fire idea. But let me tell you a little tale about what happens around here. As I have mentioned in so many shows, when I was a child at age 11, 12, I was given a boat with an outboard motor and allowed to go many miles to open ocean to do whatever I would do all day long. And every adult 
fully expected that I would come back because kids or children, I should say, at that time had uh, more responsibility and were expected to be closer to an adult than they are now. By the time I was age 13, 14, I was a lifeguard on a Boston whaler out in sailing regattas where parents knew full well if their kid's boat went over and they got caught under the sail with a life preserver on that I was the person at 12, 13, 14 years old going to pull them out. Okay, that's where we've come from. Now when I go out and the school buses are running, this is what happens. First of all, parents are at every bus stop, and this goes all the way up through middle school, and they're waiting for the children. No children walking home from the bus by themselves anymore. A sign comes up on the bus. Traffic is stopped in every direction. A bus monitor gets out while the bus driver monitors. They walk the kid either across the street or to the side of the street they are and hand them off to their parents. And here's what kills me. They then go back behind the bus and look under the tires to see if any kid was so ridiculously stupid that they couldn't figure out they shouldn't be laying behind the bus. I'm not even kidding, Jason. This is what we've come to. And I will submit here and now, this is we're headed for an idiocracy. Um, if children are not allowed to grow up, they won't. If they're treated like little coddled eggs that might get cracked, they're never going to learn the hard lessons. And, you know, in this bullet point, I see exactly um, it playing into this idea that every kid's got ADD. You got a hyperactive kid, he needs some drugs. No, no, he does not. He may need a lot of things in life, but the last one of those things he needs is to be drugged out. I don't know how much experience you have with this, Jason, but it drives me bat. Not directly. It, it, there was no discussion of any of this when I was in school. And you're, I don't know if you would say a whole generation behind me, but a slightly different generation, but the cultural differences are astounding. There was more responsibility in understanding that a, a teenager, especially, could be more responsible by light years than they are considered today. Now you're not even remotely competent into your mid-20s or even late 20s, where you're finally expected to be an adult. But even at that, Jason, you've had a start where you haven't had a chance to expand. And right now, when I look around, the one thing in the part of Rhode Island that I live in is there's still actually real farms. And what I notice is the young children coming up on the farms are much closer to where I was. They're expected to go out and operate heavy equipment and to deal with these massive animals, cows and horses and other things. And they're expected that they know what they're doing and they'll be able to deal with it. And the inverse flip side of that is kids that can't even get off the school bus by themselves. Um, you're talking two, three adults on every school bus, walking them across the street, handing them off to their parents, checking under the tires of the school bus. It's beyond the pale, man. Uh, if you want to have competent citizens in this world. It starts when they're young. They have to learn to start growing up. There's going to be times when they learn the hard lessons. Um, that's just the way of things. And, you know, this is one thing that truly bothers me. And I was talking with Sage Aquay. Mike over there is um, of an age that I am, shares my age group. And he said the very same things. There were times when I was 14, we would live on the beach for a month, getting our own food, access to a boat where we could go anywhere. And the parents weren't concerned in the least. That's where we've come from. We're dumbing down hard. And when we think about adding all the drugs and vaccines and all the things of modern society, we're truly headed in a dire direction. And I hope we soon see a time when people start to demand better from the whole system.
So, Jason, that brings us to the top of hour one, and we do have to fit the first hour out for another radio show that's running this. So I'll suffice it to say that at the posting of this show, there will be 104 free hours of content at Crow 777 Radio. No login required. If you want to become a member, you're in fact supporting free speech because we can no longer talk about many things in the first hour without the black-eyed beast of censorship glaring us down. There it is, man. Cheers.